Hi, I'm Dubber. I'm the Director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF Podcast. We're going to be diving into the world of Tally today. The connecting thread between Robot Wars, Big Brother, and Antique Roadshow is executive producer Andrew Robertson from independent UK production company Very Nice TV. I met up with him at Expo North, the creative industries conference in Inverness, to talk about the stories we tell, the media we use, what's at stake when we do that, the real value of the BBC, and the problem with X Factor that you might not have thought of. Here's Andrew Robertson. Andrew, you're from the world of television, Yeah. ultimately. What led you there? Uh, well, I certainly wasn't. I came late to telly. I am um, sort of a strong believer um, to this day that, uh, about the, the life experience rather than, than um, people that have media degrees in telly. Um, so my, I was about 28, and um, I'd done other things. I'd actually been a sound engineer. I'd done a lot of stuff, and I, 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 um, I lived in London at the time, and I met... Um, there was a live thing going on and um, I thought, this is exciting, look, they're doing telly and I got talking to some, a woman that worked there and then she gave me one day's work experience. I said, oh, it's great, how do you do telly? Oh, this looks amazing. And she was, oh, if you're interested, come in, you know, next week. And you can. So I did one day. They brought me back the next day, so I, I was there. But I was literally the most excited uh, person you've ever seen in a job. I literally felt, oh my God, this is this. This is what I want to do. So that, that two days went to a week. Uh, a week was a month. And, and, and that, so as a runner, so that was, that was how I started. And that's to this day. Uh, they, they haven't got rid of me yet. <laughs> right. And now you're a producer. Yeah. I, I think I know what a director does. What does a producer do? So my job, I'm sort of an executive producer. Um, uh, the, the difference being that the buck stops somewhere on a project. Um, obviously, every, everything's different. You'll see a lot of American shows where they'll have executive producer is the star of the show, and what you'll realise that um, that's a kind of vanity credit. They, that's part of the contract they'll get. That they'll be like, I know I'm an executive producer. Whereas my job is will be um, pretty comprehensive from from start to finish. So it could be it could be coming up with the idea. The, the show we've got at the moment. You know, there's two of us in the company, so we he shot all of it actually and directed. He's a brilliant director, and so a lot of it on in this case was him, you know, dealing with the directing, but me dealing with the channel, you know, um, uh, cutting the shows, uh, and, and ultimately being the the last thing. When when something goes wrong, it's me that would be in jail, you know. So you. you call the shots but you also take responsibility for everything that happens on that production right but presumably there's some uh, there's some upside as well there is yeah i think if you enjoy telly i think if you're into the creative experience the best thing is when you've you've come up with you know an idea you really like you've pitched it you've got it commissioned and you have a very clear vision of what that show is it's great because um you know you're seeing it through from the very start to the very end you know and you know that show and that's 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 what you do it for, mm-hmm. is, you know, I've, I've, doing things like Robot Wars, the, all the creative stuff is done, the format's there, you're really just, you're responsible mainly just for squabbling robot ears. <laughs> and, they're all, and they're all like, oh, that's not fair, he did this or she did that. But, um, so it, it, it kind of differs. It, well, that's what I like about TV is that the role will change, but ultimately, you know, you, you have the experience that puts you in that position to, to have that role. Is the kind of the specialism sort of real 
life. I don't want to say reality TV, but real life. I've done based. a lot of reality TV. Uh, you're you're okay with the term? It's not a uh, pejorative. Or uh, I don't mind. I did a lot of reality TV. You know, back in the Big Brother days and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And they were. They were in. Tra- they were good. They were good shows to make. They were very hard shows to make. Um, you worked really hard, but 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 you met a lot. It was very much in the trenches. You met a lot of people that became really good friends, and you went to work with. You know, or you work with later. And if you can make those shows, mm. people know that they can trust you in a way. They go, all right, they made such and such. Go, well, they'll be all right then. Right. You know, then a lot of these shows are not for the faint-hearted to make. Yeah, and also doesn't gel entirely with my understanding of reality either. Well, they changed a lot. I, I stopped. My last reality show was Big Brother when it was on Channel 4. And so when it went to Channel 5, that show finished. And then obviously the more constructive reality shows came in. And um, I think there's a, I think the, the Valleys was, was that the first constructive reality show? I think there's a, there's a different art form to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so credit to people who make those shows. But I think that um, it sort of depends what you're setting out to achieve. And I think always what happens is like Big Brother's a perfect example. It started as this sort of experiment. But then it gets led by the viewers as the channel sees all oh, that, that, you know, nudity and swearing's getting good figures. You're, that drives the editorial ultimately. Right. And there is this kind of, I guess, ethical and moral uh, um, <laughs> dimension to what you do. Yes. Is, is it best not to think about it or is no, it something that you yeah. really wrestle with? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I was talking about this the other day. I'm actually really, um, I've always been very strong on the, on the ethical side of it. And, you, and when you see a lot of the shows I've made, you might not think. Um, but actually, it's up to everyone. It's up to you how you want to live your life. But I've, I've, you know, said no to a lot of things. I refuse to let things happen on my watch. I always say, my watch is not going to happen. A lot of things that are pretty shocking uh, I've seen and I've refused. Um, and that comes back to the executive producer thing where it's your, you have to make a call. Mm-hmm. When you're doing, I did The Farm and, and, and Big Brothers and, and the things I've seen that happening or people going to let happen that I've, I've certainly lost jobs because I w- refused to do things that people above me wanted to happen. And I was like, well, I'm not taking part. That's not, that's not the, you know, you can't treat people in that way. So I think you have to make your, you have to, li- you have to sleep at night, don't you? Sure. Make uh, that call. And where has that led you now? Uh, definitely to a better place. I mean, the people, you know, when the, the person that runs a company is telling you to do something that ethically you think is wrong and you choose not to, then you, they won't hire you again. But, that, but, by, but for me, that's fine because I don't want to work. Yeah. You know. So I think you have to, you know, I've had a lot of that in my career and I'm, much, I'm very happy with what so I So you've am. had a lot of being sacked for ethical standpoints? Not being or? sacked, not being sacked. But, but God, uh, what I would put it is bullying, you know, essentially right. being... Um, uh, on shows where they refuse to talk to you for the rest of the production. So in the next two months uh, with people, your boss is like ignoring you when you walk in a room. And oh, that's very grown up. It's pretty horrific. Yeah, it was horrible. Wow. Um, but I, I think you have to make, you know, you make your decisions and, and um, that's fine. But I think it's important to just remember that, you, you know, it's your, that thing of not being overwhelmed by when, you know, your boss or whoever's running the company is, pressurizing you to do something you feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the point is you just say I'm, not, I'm just not going to do that I've done a lot of crazy shit but you still have to have your own moral um, 
boundaries. Yeah, I mean, you hear two contradictory stories. One is that this is the golden age of television, and the other one is this is the worst time ever for television. Are either of those things true to any extent? No, I think it's that thing of I was listening to that great song, the um, Everything Credits to Baz Luhrmann, but it's not him, is it? But the um, if you uh, sunscreen, if I had one piece yeah. of advice, sunscreen. great, you know, I listened to it again the other day, and there's a bit in there I think he mentions that that you know you always think. The past, you know, was was um, the best of times, and this is the worst of times. And I think that some of the stuff in TV at the moment is is amazing. You know, we t- we went that session talking a lot about Netflix and the likes. And for me, Netflix feels slightly bloated. I I think Black Mirror is a good example, where you know I think they're too long. I think they're great. I think Charlie Brooke is amazing, but I'm like that could have been a third of the time. So I think there's 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 that side. But I'm much more excited by the sort of newer kind of talent coming through. Um, that that might be a couple of years before we sort of see them break through, but mm. I think there's as ever you cherish it. It's a good time. TV. Yeah, well, uh, one thing that you certainly notice about Netflix is just the diversity of, of places that programs come from, and the t- the the types of faces you see on the screen that you just ordinarily wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of Latin American uh, leads uh, in in programs that are in different languages, and yeah. you know, all all of these sorts of things. And it seems like. There's so much room on Netflix because it's not bound to schedules that you get the opportunity to start to go, let's take a risk, let's put something else in there. Is that, is that I mean, yeah, am I the reality over you know, that? Yeah, yeah, people are lazy and also the algorithm, the way it works is, you know, I've got kids and if my kids watch one Adam Sandler film, mm. you know, my, here's some things we think you'll like would just be all the Adam Sandler back colour. So I think um, my business partner, he's, you know, he's, really into YouTube and has been for a long time. He talked about when the algorithm on YouTube changed and he didn't like it because that deep dive into YouTube where you can find something. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, I mean, you know, I've always obsessed with that creative moment. And um, I left a job. I worked for SDV up here in, in Scotland. I was creative director at the end. And I, I left it because I did a talk to the company. Evan, it went through a thing. Evan, the company had to talk. And I stood up in front of the, the group and I was talking about there's a thing on Reddit years ago. It was called The Button. Do you remember The Button? No. It was just genius. All it was was on April the 1st, um, they started this thing where on your profile, there was just a thing where it was a countdown from 60 seconds, mm-hmm. okay, and there was a little button next to it. And you could only push the button once, okay? And so the 60 seconds counting down, but everyone in the world that was on Reddit saw the same countdown clock, okay? But so if you pushed it at 59 seconds, you got a little color mixed to your profile forever. So that was basically said, you're impatient, you, you f- pushed it at 59. But if you could wait and get it to when it was almost five seconds to go, you got this like gold star. So it's just a brilliant gamification for some that didn't matter. Yeah. But, it, but what I loved was how simple and brilliant it was. So I was talking to this, uh, the people, the place I worked to are all like finance and doing all these shows. And I, the way they were looking at me, <laughs> I realized this is not the company I should be working at because they just looked blank, didn't understand why, how amazing, what a simple idea mm-hmm. um, that is. So um, I can't remember your question now, but yeah. I, I, it was the golden age of television. Oh, yeah, to, to well, exactly. Extent. I think it is. I think, and I, that's what, I love the sort of punk thing. I love the fact that anyone can make stuff. You know, you can make it on your phone. It, if you've got the, the, the gumption and the, 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 I've just got to do this, I want to do it, mm-hmm. you can do it. And so almost it, it calls out all those people who are like, oh, it's, uh, you know, I can't do it because of this, that, and the other. You go, you, you really have no, you know, there's no excuse. If if if, if, if you want to make it, you can make it. Yeah, I remember hearing that story about Spielberg when he was a kid and he made 
classic films on his little Kodak brownie or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, he's shot by shot, he recreated them. So, like, but, and that Spiel, Spielberg's, you know, has gone on to uh, obviously who he is. He's done quite well. Yeah, yeah. he's done really well. Yeah. But the point is, he had that drive. So I think it is, I think it's a great time for TV. It's a great time for content. I don't really think of it just as TV. I think it's like, you know, we are content makers. So. Were you that sort of kid? Yeah, I did lots of things. I, uh, unfortunately, weirdly, I, for a period, I was convinced I was going to be a professional footballer, and then someone with the same name as me is now the best footballer in Scotland. So I always think, God, if I was Doctor Who, and, and someone had said, Andrew Robertson, you're going to be a really good footballer, I'd be like, yes, but it wasn't me. But uh, yeah, I definitely was in, uh, um, inventive, but trying to find an outlet, you know, and I think that's the same probably for a lot of people. Right. So in this age of uh, everybody can make media, should everybody make media? No. Well, I think they can, but just don't. I think a lot of it is don't you make it, but don't be, um, don't do that thing where why is no one watching my my whatever it is? You know, I think um, it, it's a great creative process, and you make it and you see what works, what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think God, by all means, do it and have a YouTube channel, whatever. You know, there's such free access into um, doing that stuff. But I think the you know, the, the, the core of it is, if it's something you're really passionate about, it comes out, it just comes off the screen, you know, so much better, it's really strong, mm-hmm. and people, you know, I always think, you don't have to be into um, pillow making, and, and but if you can tell a story about a pillow well, people will come to it, because mm-hmm. it's not the pillow they're interested in, it's the way you're getting that story across, and that's at the key of it, so... If, you're, if you think TV just sounds like a glamorous job to have, you sort of will either be a TV wanker, quite frankly, mm-hmm. or you won't last because you'll realise it's really hard. Something else has to come from within to keep you going. All you want is where people who get in TV and stay in the same job, mm-hmm. make the same show for... And I'll go, what, why don't be in TV, make the same job for 10 years? Unless it's amazing. Unless it's like yeah. a phenomenal thing and you know, you're at the, the creative heart of it. Mm. I, I worked in television for six months, like 30 years ago. And yeah. so my experience of who works in television is, is extraordinarily limited. Yeah. But I imagine that there are a lot of those people. Yes. Yeah, there is. There is. There is um, uh, and a lot of them are the people who, A, um, believe the hype, uh, kind of get that weird thing of start wearing sunglasses indoors and, you know, and you're like, you know, that's what they're in for. They, they're there because they love the, um, you know, I don't know, the cachet of it. Um, and, and, you know, a, a bit like I was saying on reality shows, when you're doing, you know, I've done some really hard jobs where you're doing 20-hour days for almost three months nonstop, and it's not glamorous, it's not nice. You can, you can quickly tell the people who, <laughs> who you don't want to work with again sure. and, and the other ones who do. So I think... I think don't get into it. Get into it if, if you're excited by the creative process, you know, and you want to make things, and, and, and that's your drive, but not for, for, because you want to be able to brag, you know, or it sounds cool. Is it possible for a great idea to just land in your lap and you to go, you know what, this is my next big thing? Or, Absolutely. Yeah? Is it formats or is it stories or what is it? Uh, stories, it's, for me, it's what makes me excited. There's a, a thing we're, we're going to pitch to Netflix as well, actually, and we've got it in with the BBC, um, and it's... It's a place that's not that far from here, but it's the, the characters, it's the person, and just it's exactly the example of he's you know they're amazing, but he's just brilliant because when he talks to you about stuff he does, you want to be his best friend. 
you listen to him, you're like, oh my God, this is, he'll talk about a cushion, you're like, that really is the best cushion. And it's, he's not a salesman at all, uh-huh. but it's, he's got such a passion that you immediately bond with his passion. So it's that thing, that's what I want to put on screen. We've got a show on at the moment, with Scotland, and, it, and it's the same thing, that it's an environment where the people that we have talking just they're brilliant you just respond to them and you and and the way they talk so you're not you know i think when you're you know something's not going to run when you're layering up on top of it like anything where you have to explain it you're like and then you know and a lot of our stuff we shoot little tasters because quite often the ideas sound like the show we've got at the moment is set in hairdressers but it's not about hair so you say that's a commissioner and they'll look at you very blankly <laughs> and go okay why are you talking to me this uh, you know isn't it the salon or a reality show no it's not that at all so we would we would shoot it and go look at this look at these people that's what got it commissioned is is that it's you know it's not it's, it's not this but sometimes you need to it's how can you convey that how do you explain that is that the way that somebody would get it to your attention is to show you, look, it looks like this. This is what I'm yeah, trying to explain me, to you. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Because um, I love the sort of more, you know, different stuff, the stuff that you're like, oh, it sounds interesting, but the harder stuff is where it sounds like a traditional environment, but what you're saying is no, but but look at these people, look how amazing they are. That's the thing you have to put on camera because <laughs> you can be a great salesman and sell it and then if it doesn't stand up in the edit you know, that will not go on air. So, yeah. Is there value? That's that's probably the wrong question because clearly there's value, but is there an appeal to making stories that are valuable to a much smaller number of people? Uh, I, I don't, I don't think, my, my thing is because of the, the sort of the passion is what I'm looking for. Like I was saying about the, the cushion thing, I don't think that's how it works. I think that, People are interested in stories and people respond to human storytelling. So someone's telling a story well, you know, be it about their life. It's the human factor that we respond to. So it might be model railways, but if you if you cast it right and they're telling a story in modern railways and they're going and they're really getting into it and you and that's what people respond to. And people might talk about, oh, did you see that show last night? Uh, that model railway guy, he was hilarious, blah, blah, blah. And they'll watch it, not for the model railways, but for the, the, the storytelling and the passion. Yeah. But that's what I would say is, you know, if you've got someone who's really boring and they're talking about how to scale up a model railway, you're going to get a very small audience. So is the, is the front person the anchor that holds it together? Uh, or, yes, or the environment. It's, you know, it could be the group... You know, there was a famous show years ago called The, the Fucking Fulfords, which is about this sort of very posh, um, ar- uh, aristocratic um, couple. And they were very funny because they were just, you know, swearing and, and being posh. And, and people loved it for, for, for that. So I think it's, um, I think it's, you know, you can find universal stories in the most niche of places and it will work, you know. Whereas you can, if you cast it badly, you could, ha- you know, you could have someone who's the queen's hairdresser mm. and it'll be boring because they're not conveying that story so yeah yeah is is there any um sense cuz you you have a, if you have a large audience yeah. and you have a broadcast and you have millions of people watching is there any sense that you go you know what I'm going to make a difference 
to these people. I'm going to not just entertain them, not just kind of, uh, well, yeah. uh, you know, delight them or, or engage them, but you know what, I want to change people's minds about something. The, the recent example being David Attenborough and Straws. Um, there was a there was a platform, yeah. there was an audience, and there was an opportunity. Yeah. You got that. Do you, do you feel well, like that's I, what you're I do. do? I always try that. Again, the show we've got at the moment, what, what we very consciously try to do is set in Scotland is that it's from the very beginning, one thing I, I was not going to have us talk about was football, not going to talk about drink or drugs, not going to talk about... And the reason being that I'm sick of Scotland being portrayed in the same way. If you ever see anything in Scotland outside of Scotland, it's always football, violence, drink and drugs. And so it was, that was the first thing to go, that's not... And, and everything was shot beautifully. So wherever we were, it wasn't like gutters with rain pouring down and, 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 and sort of slummy tenants, um, tenements, it was always going to look... The, the good side of Scotland, because we, we are responsible for the story we tell. Um, and so the other thing I want to do is have people on the show who we never see on TV, who are honestly talking about their lives and, and what's their story they have to tell. So we had, you know, we had... I mean, like, transgender is obviously quite a lot on TV, but we had, there was, there was a guy at the time who was at the very beginning who wanted to do the show, so he went through with it. He wanted to tell his story from the very beginning. And so that's, that's maybe more sort of traditional now, but also people talking about autism, talking about suicide, but it was in an entertainment show. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it was aimed at the people who would watch it. Basically, the people who watch that I want to hear those stories told, are the people who, it's their story as well, but they wouldn't watch it if it was a show called It's About Autism and Suicide. They watch it as an entity. So we've got, it's a bit like Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks would always say, you know, don't worry, you know, because he, when he started talking about politics, he would say, don't worry, there's knob jokes on the way. So it's the same thing of mixing the two, because that's what life is. It's the, it's the knob jokes and it's the sadness. It's a sugar-coated pill. Yeah. yeah. And so that, I think that's the response we have, is to go... For me, anyway, it's also to, I want to put real people. I don't want to censor them. I don't want to cut people into stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Having done enough reality shows, I know how to do that. <laughs> so I was keen not to do that, to go, let's real people tell their stories. And, um, and actually, you'll realise the beauty in that is much stronger than the contrived kind of edit. Do you, go along, do you go along with the idea that uh, there's like only nine stories? There's the rags to riches uh, and there's the, you know... Uh, the stories I'm telling aren't... That sort of classic myth stories. They're 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 like real people. So there's a on show one uh, or again on this series we had this amazing woman. She just was talking about her life and she had a really hard time. And it's beautiful because you feel for her. She she's older. She had a really hard upbringing and she and all she could ever do all her life was sing. Singing was a thing that she could do. She's brought brought up in poverty and you know and um, and but singing was the thing that kind of got through. Then she got throat cancer. And she was like, she couldn't believe that what, you know, of all the things for her to do to have her voice be taken away was, was too much. And she's telling this story mm. on camera. And, um, and then she went to, she went, she had surgery, she recovered, she got through it, she went to her voice coach and she got her vo a voice back. And now she busks on the outside Marks and Spencers in Glasgow, uh -huh. you know, and she's got her voice back. And, and it's, you know, so that, I don't know where that fits in the classic myth story, but for me, when you listen to it and you know she's real, uh, it's an, it's, and then she sings at the end of the show, and right. you're like, oh my God. It's like, it'll bring a tear to your eye, because you're like, that's so powerful. It's, but it's also a real, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's someone's life. We all have those stories in ours, and I think we respond to them in other people. 
It's interesting that uh, music's a, a key part of that story, and yeah. there is this kind of uh, connection with music. And I know that music is in every television show, like yeah. v- without exception. Absolutely. How much do you think about music when you're putting a show together? Uh, I think we think about it a lot. It's, it kind of depends on... You don't want it to be intrusive, obviously, mm-hmm. and sometimes music is used as a kind of cheat, isn't it? Where it's actually not, there's no emotion in this piece at all. So what we're going to do is we're going to bang a you know a banging track underneath yeah, it, yeah. and I, that's why the X Factor this world, you know, I can't, I can't, I don't watch, I cannot watch, and I think slowly, obviously, um, people that do of. Sort of stopping anyway, I, I, because of the way they, use, they manipulate people so much with the music, I think that's a mistake. I think that the, the music in those situations is overpowering and and it shows the weakness, I think, of it or laziness of the story. But without music, yeah, nothing brings goose pimples to you, you know, like like music and it works so well. Hand in hand, it's beautiful, right? So, key ingredients, human stories, totally. bit of music, um, and no bullshit, like, like yeah. you know. Tell a real story, and, and, um, and can, can you engineer a real story? Can you start with an idea of a premise of where you want to take some people, pick some people to, to go on that journey, and then and yeah, then well, send them I've there? I've done two of reality shows, so yes. Okay. Oh my god! Honestly, there's a million tricks you can learn from doing reality shows, and I've sort of having done them now. I'm quite happy to to try and reverse it because I know Into the I, antidote yeah. to X Factor. Well, yeah, yeah, because because actually, real the, the problem with the, the X Factors of this world are. They, they chase the ratings so much that they, they it's like a ever closing, you know, not diverging lines, but would that be converging? Converging, I, I guess. Uh, yeah. In that they can't stray off the path. They're so frightened of if we risk it, if we do anything, we'll lose viewers. Yep. So they end up just in this sort of flat line of just trot the same shit out all the time. Mm-hmm. Let's just do, you know, and everyone knows as soon as you see someone, oh, here's Derek, and, and you hear the sad music in. The viewer knows, yeah, yeah, but they'll yeah. still watch it, so it's fine. But I think it's much better to, you know, let's let's try and be a bit more engaging and and also respect the viewer a bit more, you know, where possible. Assume some intelligence. <laughs> exactly. Is there a show that you look at and go, God, I wish I'd made that? The thick of it. I think anything by Armando Iannucci. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't do drama. I don't do comedy, but I, because but I would love to. I don't know how to make it, mm-hmm. but. Um, I think, yeah, basically pretty much anything with Chris, Chris Morris in it or, or Amanda Iannucci, I just literally watch, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah I have to go along with you on that. But um, do you think... I mean, there are examples like that, for instance, of television getting really smart. Mm. Do you think that there, there is a kind of, like... I mean, television has gone both directions. With Golden Age aside, um, do you think that this, the capacity for television to be smart now is better than before? I think there is, yeah. I think because there's more... The fact that there are more outlets... Like, BBC Four is just back-to-back brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, everything on that channel, I sit and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and, and that's one. We talk about niching. They all have, a, they all have a, an amazing documentary well told on, like... Um, I don't know Latvian clog makers, and if you've got the time to watch that, you're going to go, oh my god! I had you no know? idea. So yeah. I think absolutely, and that's why the BBC, I think, is so. But I'm a massive fan of the BBC, not just obviously because because they commission some of your stuff. Yeah, but yeah. But, but beyond that, I think their stuff is so amazing, and and, and it, it does make me really cross when I see, you know, at the moment this sort of weird political climate. This whole you know get rid of the BBC because without the BBC, what you know we would be it is NHS and BBC two of the, the greatest British you know, inventions and to lose either of them would be 
absolutely awful. It does feel like dismantling Britain somewhat, doesn't it? You know what, it would do no good. The BBC are, you know, look at those documentaries. As I say, BBC4, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that public broadcasting sense has travelled well outside yeah, of the well, UK? Yeah, we were at that panel then. They, you know, the amount of um, BBC shows that America, you know, their highest rated shows, it's absolutely, it's a quality yeah, you know, they're brilliant. I mean, the okay. So the British shows made by the BBC yeah. obviously travel internationally, but does the public broadcasting ethos, I guess, translate culturally to uh, other places as easily as it does? In I Britain? don't think. I I think that well, certainly in America, they you know they can't imagine. I don't. Imagine, they wouldn't know what it's like because I think people forget how many. How far it's radio, you know, it's TV, it's online, it's mm-hmm. so much content, and um, I think it's I think it's brilliant. So, I mean, yeah, I can't see. It. I don't know if who else has it. Um, so it'd be hard to sort of say whether, you know, it's sort of spread. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um, do, you th- do you think? Okay. So let's let's take it to the British context. Do you think that that same public media? Uh, perspective could be brought to the online world. For instance, could you have a BBC Facebook or could you have a uh, that kind of thing? Where well, they've got iPlayer, haven't they? So true. You know, I think I think they're doing it and they're trying to. Do it. We're doing sort of stuff for them um, and Channel Four, and it's about bringing through new talent in that way. Because even Channel Four has a public service remit, doesn't yeah, they it? Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it's slightly weird because that's why it's annoying to watch Channel Four online because you have to watch about eight minutes of ads. Uh huh. Which is which is just stupid because no one watches them, and they they've done a thing where you can't switch tabs on your browser because it will stop. And wait for you to. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think internationally it's a brilliant thing. I can't see the way the world is, you know, with the Netflix and the thing. How you could never start one up now, could you? Because no one's going to say we're going to raise your taxes or, or introduce a new thing. Mm-hmm. But, but actually, ironically, you know, the Amazons and Netflixes are coming round to a place where. They'll cost the same as say, a TV license, but give a fraction of the value, because Netflix doesn't give you amazing radio, doesn't give you all these documentaries, doesn't give you this, doesn't give you that, doesn't give you that sort of range. But what does Netflix cost a year now? It's like almost ten quid a month. That's one hundred twenty quid a year. Yeah, it's What's getting it? up there. Yeah, the license fees what one hundred sixty a year. So, you know, I think I think um, that would be an absolutely terrible thing to lose. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, what's next? What's the what's the kind of the not not necessarily just for you, but for television? Uh, I mean, were you talking about second screen stuff, I know, uh, interactive? Yeah, that's been and, a long time. Yeah. Second screen. I did stuff for that years ago. I think it's. Um, I think the key thing is just that is that it's content. Think about things as content. People talk about phones a lot. It's interesting uh, that the conversations about that streaming service where it's all under ten minutes is quite interesting because you think. Um, I don't, you know, I think you, you, it's like the, that race to the bottom sometimes where I get it, if you, but if you're always chasing the views, I don't think it always create, it is the, the right way about creating the best content mm-hmm. because actually what happens is that, you know, viewers, you know, we all, our mood changes and suddenly they'll be, they've all gone down one way. Whereas you, I think that, um, I think as long as the content is, is kind of quality content, you know, in some form, and also represents people. Mm-hmm. It needs to rep- that's, uh, you know, it's a big issue, is that representing people properly, is, you know, are people seeing themselves on screen, you know, whatever, whether it's, you know, race or disabilities and all that, so I think, I think that's really important, that, that that should change. We talk about the diversity, in, you know, in other ways, but actually why, you know, there should be much more of that going on. Yeah. 
that isn't patronising and, and is, is kind of real and um, and also it opens up markets in a way, you know, you go, it gives you more opportunities, but I, that is a big thing, I think that's really important. Yeah, when you start excluding sort of a fifth of the population here and half of the population yeah, it's there. It's madness. And, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, and uh, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox. No, I, I think it's a good soapbox to be on. But uh, the, the other thing, the interesting thing that that uh, sort of 10-minute platform raises is this sort of uh, idea, which I, I I don't go along with necessarily, uh, is the idea that people's attention span has decreased. And when you look at, okay, so Game of Thrones was how long? Um, and how many people watched that? It, it seems like actually the appetite for, for the content, for lack of a better word, is, yeah. is increasing, not decreasing. Yeah, I think um, there's a really good um, bit in... Um, as you see, you know, Adam Curtis's um, documentaries, have you seen them? So he talked about the thing, just about the internet and, and to think about, just, it's all worth talking about, think who owns the internet companies, okay? So all this stuff is streaming and and, and all this content and, and, and the, these major conglomerates own all the internet. So they're running the internet, they're charging you for the broadband, you know, and they're, you know, and they, they own the phones. So is there is a massive push into the type of content that relies on phones, that relies on, um, you know, broadband and, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and not to say that that is, there's some massive conspiracy, but also, but it's definitely worth thinking, you know, on the other hand, the cinema experience hasn't gone away. We still love a shared experience. We go to, if a film comes out, you know, you don't want to watch it on your phone, you want to enjoy it with other humans, mm. you know, and that's, that's, that has won every battle you know, there was a bit where cinema that felt like it was going down when the VHSs came out, but actually it's still there. It's still something you can't do away with, so I don't... And large flat-screen TVs and home cinemas and, and these yeah, sorts of... Yeah, I've got one. I, so, I love it, but, yeah. but it's not... I will still go to cinema. Sure, sure. Would you go to cinema to watch television? Well, I was talking on about exactly this point that actually the, the world of Netflix and Amazon means that what is, what is television, like when you look at... Um, you know, a Netflix drama, is that, is that television? Because Outlander could easily be, you know, maybe not Outlander, but, but some of them could easily be on, in a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, you could watch them yeah. uh, duration apart. So, you know. There's kind of an epic sweep to some of these things that, that yeah. would suit a big screen quite yeah, well. It, it's weird. And maybe the cinema experience will change. Maybe, you know, you go to cinema for, for, um, to, to do six, you know, back-to-back Game of Thrones. You'd do that in a cinema, wouldn't you? Yeah. If it was... I think cinemas need to change a bit. Like, in, I go to South by Southwest quite a lot, mm-hmm. and those Austin cinemas are amazing. You have your pizza and a glass of wine, and if it was that, you know, the cinemas in Britain are still so, like, you know, quite a boring and, and kind of popcorn-y, but... Um, but if, it, if, the, if the cinema needs to change so that it can take that in, and, and, and you know, so that... that, that yeah. So... That would be good. Good stories in people's living rooms and large screens with lots of people around. Totally. Shared yeah. experience. Shared experience. Fantastic. <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. Yes. That's Andrew Robertson and that's the MTF Podcast. Hope you enjoyed and if you did, don't forget to share, like, rate, review and of course tell your friends. And if you do feel like a box set binge after listening to that, don't forget there are 45 more episodes of the MTF Podcast featuring brilliant artists, industry leaders, scientists, inventors, storytellers and other fascinating members of the huge global MTF community that you're part of just by being here. There's bound to be something in there that's of interest. You go and enjoy that. I'll catch you next week. You have a great one. Cheers. Bye.